Good to be in the Lord's house this morning. Thankful for our visitors that we have with us too. Um, thankful that He did set us free. Uh, the Bible says if He set you free, then you're free indeed. And so uh, I'm free this morning. Know Him in a free pardon of sin. I appreciate the good spirit that we can feel. I'm glad that I'm thankful for the blood as we sang that stained the old rugged cross. Uh, what an awful death he died, that song said. In pain and agony he talked. It was a, it was a bitter death. Uh, and that's what we celebrate this morning. Because without that death, none of us could ever be saved. And so that's what the Lord's Supper is all about. It's not so much remembering his life, but the Apostle Paul says it's all about remembering his death. That as oft as you come, it's to remember the death. So I'm thankful it's the death that life bought, if you want to look at it that way. Uh, and Or the life that death bought, rather. And, and so I'm thankful that he died. And I'm more thankful that he rose from the dead. Um, and pardon me and all that put their trust in him. Is anything on your heart before we go into the service? Um, I will try to be brief. I, I'd ask you to turn. We are going to read some um, in Leviticus chapter 16 and then some in Hebrews chapter 9. And I'll try to be brief. I know it takes a while to do the Lord's Supper, but, uh, but um, just feel the need to, uh, to try and, and preach or teach. Or um, We were talking in Sunday school about things in the Old Testament that, that pointed that God had already foreordained uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ uh, in His birth, His death, burial, and resurrection. All of that was foreordained. Uh, but uh, in the Old Testament, uh, they had types or pictures. or they, the, the Paul says they were shadows of what was to come. And so he tried to teach them even way back then under Moses um, about, uh, about this supper uh, and, and about what, uh, what atonement really is. And that's what... Uh, the 16th chapter of Leviticus is about. And uh, if you want to turn there, you pray for me this morning. Uh, we're going to skip around, but I'm going to read uh, starting in verse 3. It says, Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat. Keep that in mind. He shall put on the holy linen coat and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh. And he shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with the linen mitre shall he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water, and so put them on. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Uh, skipping down to verse 20. And when he had made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. 
putting him upon the head of the goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities into a land not inhabited, and he shall let the goat uh, he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. Now keep that in mind. Um, Hebrews chapter nine, the writer of Hebrews expounds on this a little bit. If you want to turn over there, Hebrews chapter nine. And starting in verse uh, verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 9. It says, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which both were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and cardinal ordinances imposed upon them until the time of reformation. But Christ being become a high priest of, God, of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of bulls and goats and calves, but by His own blood, He entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Uh, verse 24, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven Himself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that He should offer Himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others, for then he must often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world he hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And that's all we're going to read. We have, uh, I've just read part in your hearing in the Old Testament and the New Testament about the Day of Atonement. And so that's what we want to try to preach a little bit this morning and I'm going to try to hurry uh, but the Day of Atonement, there were a few days uh, in in Israel in the Hebrew history uh, that they uh, there were all there were feasts and ordinances rather that God had appointed them to do. But probably the two most important would be the Passover, uh, which uh, which I've often linked unto the Lord's Supper uh, because Paul linked it to the Lord's Supper uh, when he said, "Now Christ is our Passover." Uh, there has been uh, there has been in the recent past uh, uh, some some Christian brethren and and I guess they mean well but they they try to get the church to still observe the Passover. That's not for the church. That was for the Hebrew and, uh, and that was done away when the Lord instituted His supper. So, uh, but at any rate, I've often linked that. But uh, but the other uh, the other probably the most holy day uh, in the in the calendar of the Hebrews. Uh, was the day of atonement, uh, for that was the day uh, that their sins uh, uh, would uh, uh, would be carried off, and they could see a visual 
representation of that. That's why I read in your hearing in the Old Testament, under the law of Moses, they had uh, they had Levites that would minister in and around the tabernacle, and they had priests. Uh, many priests that would every morning uh, take the offerings and, and, and kill a lamb every morning and every evening. And, and they had priests that would light the, uh, light the altars up and, and, and light the incense and change out the, uh, the showbread on the tables. And, and so in other words, every day that God had His men, His priests would, uh, would all be working and laboring together in that tabernacle. But this day was different. Uh, this day was different altogether. Uh, most every other day you could look at the high priest uh, and he would have on garments that, uh, that, had, uh, that had pure gold inlaid in them in his, in his headpiece uh, and in his girdle. His breastplate uh, had different stones in them uh, that would shine and gleam and, and that was the high priest. But this day, uh, my friends, was different. Uh, this day there was nobody in the tabernacle. There was nobody that labored around. It was the only day of the year that the high priest had to do it all by himself. You keep that in mind. He had to go and he had to kill the sacrifices. He had to sprinkle the blood. It had to be him. And nobody else had the authority from God to do that. It was the day that He laid aside those garments. He laid aside that royal robe. He laid aside that headpiece and that crown. He laid aside His jewels and He put upon Himself just a simple linen garment. You bear that in mind. I want to draw you a picture. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ had His apostles the whole time in His ministry. But that night that they took Him it was altogether different. How you see, when they came and arrested him, his disciples forsook him and fled. And don't be too hard on them. It had to be that way. He had to tread that one press of the wrath of God by himself. And nobody could help him in the atonement. For he is the high priest. Only the angels probably are aware of that royal garment that our Savior had laid off and he disrobed himself in glory one day. He disrobed himself from that. From that, You see what John wrote about him in Revelation with the crowns and with the vestures dipped in blood. A girt about the paps with a golden girdle. But there came a day that our Savior laid aside that garment and He took upon Himself a robe of flesh just like us. I can't imagine how what the angels must have thought as they saw Him disrobe and take upon Himself the form of a servant. How when He was born in Bethlehem of Judea and they recognized Him as the host of heaven, the Bible said, has suddenly appeared and cried out glory to God in the highest. And when the angel said this day, according to the prophecy in the city of David, is born a Savior. But He was a Savior in a robe of flesh. He was a man. He was the only God-man that this world has ever or will ever know. He was altogether God. And he was altogether man. I want you to wrap your mind around that this morning. About him disrobing himself and taking upon himself a body. As the psalmist declared, as he prophesied, he said, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. But a body thou hast prepared me. He said, I come to do thy will, O God. And he did. 
He fulfilled all righteousness. But in the Old Testament, that high priest was in there alone. And nobody to help him with the offering. And nobody could help him with the sacrifice. And I read in your hearing, he wore those holy garments. And he came out. And they had two goats there. First of all, the high priest. It was the only day. See, there was a place in that tabernacle that was segregated and set apart. And it was 30 feet long and 30 feet high. And so it was 30 feet, about 30 feet. And so it was separated by a thick, heavy curtain. I don't know how thick most people say about the size of a handbreadth. But it was a thick curtain. And the Bible said that there was one day of the year that one man and one man only was allowed to go beyond that veil. And that was the Day of Atonement. And so when that day came, Aaron and whoever the high priest were after him, they had to go in by themselves. And nobody in the temple and nobody in that tabernacle but them. And I can imagine as he lifted that thick curtain and passed beyond the veil, passed into the unseen, passed into where the glory of God would come down and light Himself upon the mercy seat. But that high priest would have to go in three times that day. He would go in first of all with the censer and he had to take fire off the altar and put it in that censer. And when he walked in and he put the fire on that incense, the Bible says a great smoke would then begin to roll and it would it would land. And so that high priest was in the presence of the glory of God Almighty. And those without were just waiting. Waiting for that priest to come back. And no doubt every high that was on that doorway waiting to see if that holy God would strike that man dead. Or if indeed he would come back. And so he came out. He went in the second time. He had to kill a bullet. He had to kill a bullet to make an offering for himself. And for his family. So once again, through that heavy curtain into the unseen glory, he went in with the blood and he began to sprinkle the blood and consecrate that holy place where the abode of God was. And so he came in with the blood and made an atonement for himself. And the people stood outside and they waited. And he came back out. And finally, as I read there, they took two goats on the Day of Atonement. And they were perfect without spot and without blemish. And they brought those goats up and they cast lots. And then, and whichever lot fell unto the Lord, that goat would be slain. He'd be killed. And the lot that the scape, the lot that the other the lot fell over be the scapegoat. And so those two goats were, were presented. They were brought up. Before the people turned around and faced the people, and then the high priest would stick his hand in the box or the bag, whatever they had, and draw out the tablets of stone. And whichever lot they were, he would lay his hand, and they say tie a ribbon around the head and around the horn to tell him apart. But there the high priest stood. He stood before the people and he had to take a knife. He had to commence the stabbing and the cutting. He had to be the one that when the blood began to be shed, it had to be in his hand. And so he went in the third time beyond that heavy curtain. And this time with the blood. And this time the blood atonement was for those that were outside. 
And they sat there and they waited. And they watched. And no doubt hoping. And no doubt praying. That God would be merciful. And that they could see their high priest come back out. And so they waited. They waited until the high priest was finished. And after he had cast the blood throughout the holy place, you see the blood had now been shed. And the way was made. The atonement was there. Let me stop there just a minute. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ died. The atonement has been made. He said on the cross, it is finished. This is the way. If you read in the the 16th chapter and in the 10th chapter of Leviticus, the sons of Aaron were struck down by God for approaching Him in an unholy manner, in a strange manner. And today, if you dare try to approach God any other way but by the blood of His Son, He will destroy you. It takes the blood. It had to be shed. It had to be brought into that holy place. And so when our Lord and Savior was on the cross at Calvary, when He disrobed Himself even further, you see they humiliated Him. And just as those goats were, He was brought forth in front of Pilate, turned around, and He faced those people. And they disrobed Him fully. And He stood there naked and humiliated. He stood there as He looked out. And he looked out at the crowd, and the crowd began to cry out, Crucify him. And so there he stood as that lamb slain. And that was all foreordained. It had to be the high priest. He had to be alone. Nobody could help him. And so there he stood naked and humiliated, just like those goats were facing the crowd. And when the sentence came down to crucify him, they led his body through the streets of Jerusalem down that Via Dolorosa. There's an old song that says, They were walking my Lord up Calvary's hill. I can't imagine that morning. I can't imagine what that must have felt like. I don't know about you. In the Old Testament, in the Passover days, it said there was a darkness that can be felt. I would say it was the same on that day. I would say it was a darkness that the disciples, that the apostles, that Mary Magdalene, that His mother, that all of those that He had saved and touched in this life, as they gathered around that tree, and they gathered around the cross, and they began to look up at the blood that began to flow down. And you see, it's that blood. After he, after they crucified him, I read to you in Hebrews that he is their high priest, that he's not gone beyond the veil. You know, when they crucified our Lord, when he died, the Bible said that veil, that six heavy, thirty foot high, thirty foot long curtain was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And what did that mean? That means you no longer depend upon a man as your high priest. That the way has now been made for whosoever to come unto God. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful this morning that it's a whosoever will way? I know there are millions that still teach in priests and things like that. Let me be perfectly clear. You don't need them. You don't need them to go to God. 
you can do that yourself. Because the Bible said in Hebrews, He didn't go beyond the veil like Aaron did. And that wasn't the veil that He went beyond. But after He was crucified and died, our Savior went into the holiest of all. He went into heaven itself. And there He presented and sprinkled His blood upon the mercy seat in glory. And, and so, He's went into the holiest of all. Those people in the days of Aaron, they waited. They were waiting outside. The atonement had now been made. They saw the high priest come back out. But there was one more thing that they had to do. They had to lay their hands. Aaron had to lay his hands upon the head of that scapegoat and begin to confess over him all the sins of Israel. And so he did. And so they, they were there. They had to do it every year. Every year this had to be done. I can show you that that was one offering. They say, you say, which one does our Lord and Savior represent? I can see Him in both in a little bit. He was absolutely that offering that was slain to make the atonement. The way has been made today, but you know what? That blood will do you no good. None. Unless you begin to repent and confess your sins. Unless you begin, they were they were taught. I didn't read it, but it's in that chapter in Leviticus to consecrate themselves. And they were taught to afflict their soul on that day of atonement. And so the way had been made, but they still had to confess in order for their sins. And we were talking in Sunday school. There are those among our ranks who would say, "Our Lord and Savior just died for a few, and just the elect of God." I disagree with that wholeheartedly. Here's what I would say: He tasted death for every man, and the atonement has been made for every man. But that atonement does not apply to every man. It only applies to those who by faith believe and repent. And so they had to confess their sins. And so I can show you in the Old Testament where it said God, the Father, had laid His hand just as Aaron laid His hand on the priest. It said our sins were all laid upon Jesus. All of our sins, just like that scapegoat. And then it was led by the hand of a fit man out into the wilderness. In other words, they had a physical representation of their sins being carried away. People say, where did they take that goat creature? It was a land that inhabited. It was a land where it would never be seen. It was a land where it would never be heard from. What does that mean? It means that the blood, the atonement, is powerful enough to take your sins, nail them to the tree, nail them on Jesus, and He carries them into a place which they will never return. Isn't that great? Our sins have been forgiven. The Bible declares that Jesus Christ, He takes us away the sins of the world. Just as that scapegoat, He carried those sins. That was a figure. It was a representation of the One that was yet to come. Both goats were. But by the sacrifice, by the blood that was shed, the way it had been made, now their sins were carried off. I'm telling you, it was all a picture of what we're about to celebrate right here today of the Lord's Supper. For without that shedding of blood, none of us can be saved. Without the atonement of Calvary, none of us could be washed. And without Him stripping Himself of that robe of glory and taking upon Himself the flesh, 
Oh man, isn't that a wonder of all wonders? Uh, I know we're not commanded. The Bible doesn't say anything. I mean, Randy's had a good time out of this. It doesn't command us to celebrate the birth. I'm glad that we do. It's something a glorious thing. He could have took upon Himself the nature of angels. He could have come down in His glory. But to fulfill the law of God, it had to be in a man. Man was cursed. It had to be a man that would break the curse. It had to be a man that would be a high priest. That now that man has entered into the holiest of all, there to appear in the presence of God for us. Isn't that a glorious thing? He's still there. He's still my high priest. What do you need a high priest for? Brother, you've been born again. I have. But you see, I'm not without sin. I still sin. I still need that high priest talking to the Father, pleading my case, just as those Hebrews waited, waited patiently to get that glimpse of heaven as He come out. Because when He come out, they knew that the atonement was accepted. When our Lord rose from the dead, that was all the proof that we would ever need that the atonement has satisfied the Father. Amen. That the blood He presented in glory, it satisfied the wrath of God. So the atonement is available to all men. But it is only effective. What good, what good would the one goat have been if the other goat hadn't have symbolically carried their sins away. What good would the death of Jesus Christ be? So what if our sins are... So what if we're having the way of atonement? So what if our sins are atoned for if He doesn't rise again? You see, it was the resurrection that was like that scapegoat. It was the resurrection that proved that He carried our sins away forever. And that that blood was accepted in glory. And just as those waited, so now I'm waiting, and you're waiting, to catch a glimpse of that great high priest that will soon one day return again and gather his own. Glory to God, the way has been made. But it only is effective if you repent. They still had to confess their sins. I, I want you to understand the promise is there. The blood is there. The way is there. So as we come to this supper, I want you to bear that in mind. You that are here and lost, this supper is not for you. It's not. I don't mean to be critical or harsh, but this is for those that have been, you see, in the Lord's Supper. It's the remembrance above everything else. This do in remembrance of me. Well, how do you remember somebody that you never met? You see, first you have to know him. You have to be born again. You can't remember him if you don't know him. So it's a remembrance. So as we come in just a few minutes, that's what it is. It's it's uh, if you're here and you've been saved and you've never yet been baptized. Sadly, I'm sorry, the supper's not for you. It's not. It's for those who have followed the Lord in baptism. It really is. I love our members and in their sick and shut in. Some are sick and in the parking lot. I don't mean to be critical, but it's not for them. You see, 
Paul said, when you be come together. So we have to come together. In an assembly, we have to worship Him together. I don't have any problem with people being outside. Don't misconstrue that. I'm glad that they're here. I pray that there will come a day they're comfortable enough to come in. If they're not, I don't fault them. That's their decision. I love them. But this supper is for those who are present with us. And so, you have to be saved. You have to be baptized. You have to be a member of this church or a sister church of like faith and order in good standing with no charges against you that you haven't been excluded. You see, it's a supper of remembrance. This too in remembrance of me. And I'll say again, why? Why, why should I be baptized? Because He commanded it. You can't partake of this. I said it well ago, but, but the last few words a loved one says has weight. And if He were to look at you and, or your mom or your dad would say to you, I want you to promise me something after I'm gone that you'll do this for me. See, our Lord knew that we were man. And I'm losing my voice, so I need to hush. He knew that we would forget. He knew that 2,000 years would go by and people that never saw Him in the flesh. He knew that He knew that we would forget His sacrifice. He knew that there would come a day when the cross of Christ and the death of His Son wouldn't have the feeling to it anymore. So in His glory and wisdom and foreknowledge of that, He said, I'm going to give you a forget-me-not. I'm going to give you something to you so that you can and will remember me. So for 2,000 years, men and women have gathered around this table and they've remembered the death. That great sacrifice. If the world exists for 2,000 more, I promise you, there will be a faithful few that will remember our Lord and remember His death. And that's what we do today. I'm thankful. I don't understand it, but I'm thankful that He loved me. See, when He presented that blood, that was my, that was for me. It wasn't the blood of any man. It was the God man. It was God's blood. And so, He knew that I'd be born. He knew that I'd be saved. But He gave us a way to remember Him. And oh, oh how soon we forget. How soon I'm afraid we're living in a day that the cross doesn't... I can remember a time, and it still does from time to time. You'd read those events in the Bible. Tears would be falling. Your gut and heart would be breaking at the thought of our Lord crucified in agony alone. But He knew man would forget that. So He instituted this in His wisdom. And so we're fixing to gather around. If I could have the deacons to come forward at this time.
as they're uncovering um, the offering. We're, we're still under COVID protocols. We don't <clears throat> pass the plates like we used to. We do it a little different. But I've gave you the requirements. I've gave you the commandment. It's a commandment. If you meet those requirements of being saved, of being baptized, and to being a member of this church or a sister church of life, faith, and order, a missionary Baptist church, then you are welcome to receive this and partake of this supper here at Lafayette. If you're at your seat, when your row stands up and you physically can't walk up here, you raise your hand and one of these fine brethren will bring the supper to you. And we'll see that you get to partake of it. I've gave you the requirements. This is what Paul said about it in 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> For I have received the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat, this is My body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of Me. After the same manner also He took the cup when He had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in My blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of Me. <clears throat> For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show forth the Lord's death till He come. We're not here to celebrate His birth or His resurrection. This is His death. Wherefore, whosoever will eat this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. You pay attention to that. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Let me stop. None of us are worthy to do this. That's not what Paul meant. He meant in a worthy manner. In other words, clear your minds, clear your hearts, you're not to think about tonight, tomorrow, supper, breakfast, next week, your job. It's all to be about Him and His death. And that's the proper manner in which to take this supper. And so Paul said, examine yourself, get your heart right, and then eat. And so that's a commandment. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, in other words, if you're thinking about other things, listen, it's, it says, he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. In plainer words, many died because they did this in an unworthy manner. So preacher, that ain't so. Yes, it is. Don't be scared of it. It's a commandment. Just clear your hearts. Examine yourself. Get your heart centered upon the death of our Lord and Savior. And then come and eat. And so now we'll now we'll uh, <clears throat> offer the thanks. The Bible said the first thing he did was uh, was he <clears throat> he took the bread. Says he took the bread and he broke it, and he said, "This is my body." In other words, tonight I'm going to be taken. And my body is going to be broken. But the next time you see me, I'll be crucified on the tree. Bruised and battered. With his back laid open. Hanging in long ribbons of flesh. That's what this bread represents. 
It doesn't become his body. It represents his body. So it was broken. So Lord, we thank you today for the broken body of our Lord and Savior. Thinking about him expiring on that cross. Thinking about his body bruised and battered, dehydrated. The Bible says all of his bones are out of joint. His tongue clayed in Rufa's mouth. In other words, it was a body just like ours. And it had the same limitations as ours. And it could be broken just like ours. Thank you, Lord, for that broken body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Once he had done that to the bread, the Bible says he took the cup. And he took the cup. And as he began to pass it around, he said, this cup is my blood. What does that mean? It means it's a blood covenant that God made with man. It means it's that blood that just like the Day of Atonement, I read in Hebrews, that couldn't purge your conscience from sin. Hebrews said this is a new and living way. It took the death of the testator to make the testament of the blood powerful. So when he died, his blood became powerful. Powerful enough to cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Powerful enough to save the lost sinners. It represents the blood of our Savior. So Lord, we thank you for the blood that was shed. At Calvary's tree, we thank you as the blood ran down. It signified the blood covenant as it fell to the ground. As he presented it in the glory world, Father, and it pleased you to cause him to bleed. But it pleased you that when he offered up himself, we know that he's entered into the holiest of all, not without blood, but not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with his own blood. Lord, we thank you for the blood that he shed and the way that has been made for whosoever will to be saved. Lord, thank you for all that partake of this blood. Thank you, Lord, Lord for the night that uh, for the night that we took a plunge in that fountain filled with blood. Lord, that washed me white as snow. Thank you for that blood. Amen. So now having having given thanks over the bread and the, and, the, and the wine, over the body and blood of our Lord. He said, just drink you all of it. So, so now we'll have the uh, deacons, we'll have a, uh, they're going to serve you. We're going to come a row at a time and just start here and just make your way around. Um, and if you're, again, if you can't get up here, raise your hand, we'll bring it to you. We'll see that our people in the um, auditorium or people outside security get Serve as well as our organ of piano players, so I just come ahead.